Well, Tana and I, uh, that's my wife, Tana, and I've been married for almost 36 years. It'll be 36 years this um, summer. And, and during that time, uh, we have learned a thing or two about each other. For example, when she has an issue with me, <laughs> I know that may be a little difficult to believe, but when she has an issue uh, with me and we discuss it, um, well, let's just say um, we have to do so more than once. Well, from, from my perspective, I say that she has to say it several times to kind of feel like she said it, you know, to get it off her, her chest. But from her perspective, she says she has to say it like, I don't know, 27 times because the first 26 times I didn't hear her. I have no idea what she's talking about. By the way, tomorrow is her birthday, so I know you. When you're going out, you're going to say to her, you're ten, you, you can't resist it. You're going to say, he talked about, wish her happy birthday tomorrow. It, it, her birthday's tomorrow. So if you have to say something to my wife, wish her happy birthday. About four years ago, she asked me to go see an audiologist. She was convinced that I was not hearing as well as I used to, so I went, and you can imagine my great joy, to find that I had lost, indeed, I'd lost some hearing in my right ear. In fact, the audiologist, a female, a woman, by the way, said that I would have trouble hearing higher tones, like women and children. I said, hallelujah. You say, why would I be glad about this? Because coming home and saying, my hearing's fine, would not have been a win for me. For you married people, or actually for anyone who has ever been in a relationship with another person, you know that there's a difference between hearing and listening, which reminds me of this post I, I, I once saw. Husbands are the best people to share secrets with. They'll never tell anyone because they aren't even listening. <laughs> Stop laughing, ladies. How many times have you had... Let's just call it a discussion. And one of you says to the other, you're not listening to me. I don't know what you mean. I have heard every word that you have said. I can repeat it back to you. But we all understand that there's a difference between hearing and listening, don't we? Hearing the words coming out of your mouth is one thing. Understanding, comprehending, and acting upon those words is something altogether different. It's why... Jesus, one day, said to those who were hearing him, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you've been with us in our study of the Gospel of Mark, if you had hung out with Jesus any amount of time, you know that everyone around him had ears to hear because if they didn't, he would heal them. So there must be something more to hearing than the mechanics of distinguishing sounds. Every week I stand up here and talk, and, and you hear, but, but here's my question, are you listening? Are you listening? Because what I have to say today, actually what Jesus has to say today is of eternal consequence. So, so he refers to, to hearing, to listening, several times today. In fact, he uses the word for hear or listen or ears like 10 times in these verses that we're going to look at. He starts this very long story, this long section of his teaching with the word listen. 
He tells his first parable. He gets to the end of that. And he says, he who has ears to hear, let, let him hear. Are you listening? Then he tells another parable. He gets to the end says the same thing again. He who has ears to hear, are you listening? There's a difference we understand between hearing and listening. Between understanding, comprehending, and acting on what you hear. Are you, are you listening? We arrived this morning at the first of what have been called the parables of the kingdom. Uh, through these parables in Mark chapter 4, Jesus begins to reveal the mystery of the kingdom to us. Last week, we found that the word uh, uh, parable comes from the Greek word par parabole, uh, meaning to throw or, or lay something alongside something else through this literary device which, by the way, Jesus mastered. He uses everyday stories with which his listeners were, or hearers, I should say, were familiar, and he would lay them alongside spiritual truth to illuminate those truths. And last week, we saw rather shockingly why Jesus used parables. First, to conceal truth. I thought parables were to help us understand truth, not necessarily. He told parables to conceal truth from those who refused to believe. You see, there's a sense in which you must believe in order to understand. It's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the, the, the things of God are, are uh, we can't understand them. Only the Spirit of God can understand the things of God, but we have received the Spirit of God by, which, by whom we can understand. And, and, and so there is a sense in which you must believe in order to understand. You refuse to believe, you'll never understand. You'll see it as all foolishness. Exactly. A second reason that he chose to use parables is to reveal deeper truths to those of us who do believe. So, so let me be clear. Parables help darken the line between insiders and outsiders. And I, I know that sound, those words sound a little uh, uh, harsh, uh, but I'm just using Mark's language. Those who are on the inside, those who are around Jesus, and those who are on the outside. And spiritual truth is for insiders, which is why he explained the parables to his disciples. It, it is not for outsiders, which is why, again, he spoke in parables. You see, while Jesus, and, and here Mark, has, is presenting undeniable evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, there has been a variety of responses to this undeniable proof. Surprisingly, there have been those who, who doubted, others who resisted, those who rejected, and then those who opposed Him and even killed Him. So at this point, yeah, there are large crowds. That's another important theme for Mark. There are large crowds that are gathering around Jesus. His it's popularity is rising, but so is the opposition. And that opposition we have seen, it comes from those you would accept, expect to accept. I mean, religious leaders, were they supposed to be waiting for the Messiah? This was, after all, a religious movement, right? And in his own family, I mean, if his own brothers don't believe, why should anyone else? And so the question begins to rattle around our, our minds. Is this, is this kingdom, is this movement going to make it? Yeah, yeah Jesus has, has a few followers, but the 12 he chose to be leaders of this rather small band of true believers at this point. No, no one else would have selected these particular Guys, fishermen, and, and tax collectors, and zealots, and no-name Galileans, and sinners. 
the respectable, the, the religious of the day, they were rejecting him. What is going to become of this kingdom? And so lest there be any doubt or any confusion, Jesus launches into a series of parables which describes the, the nature of his kingdom. In these parables, he assures us, he wants us to understand that despite all of the opposition, despite all of the rejection, this kingdom, hear me now, will succeed. It's going to grow. Let me give you just a little sneak preview. This is the mystery that is revealed here. The seed will spread and some will fall on good soil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have to, there's going to be some bad soil. We're going to have to deal with weeds and, and rocks and, and things like that. But the, but the good soil will grow and it will produce miraculously. The, the kingdom, he says, it's like a little mustard seed. It's small now, but it will not remain so, and after 2,000 years of church history, we have found that to be true, have we not? And I want you to understand that despite the opposition, the kingdom, the church of Jesus Christ is growing today. So, those who have ears, let him hear. Are you, are you listening? Are you an insider? or an outsider? Do, do you come week after week and listen to me run my mouth and this is the extent of your faith? You're just hearing? Turn to Mark chapter 4 with me. Mark chapter 4, let's begin reading in verse 1 to pick up the context and we'll read the parable through verse 9. He, that is Jesus, began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the, in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was, was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen, to this is in the italics, it's not in the Greek, listen, behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. The other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and, and, as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and, and 100 fold. And he was saying to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, we have some significant truth to cover this morning. One of the challenges that we face is the familiarity of this particular parable. We've all heard it. We've all heard it taught before. We've all read the, the, the interpretation. But these are very poignant words for us today. I'm going to simply outline the text very, around these two points. We're going to look at the parable in verses 3 to 9. 
Jesus giving a physical story and laying it alongside some spiritual truth. And then in verses 13 to 20, we'll read that in a minute, uh, we're going to look at the interpretation of the parable. Jesus explains uh, for us the spiritual truth that he wants to illuminate. And as we look at this interpretation, I believe we're going to be able to make some application to our lives uh, today. So let's start by looking at the parable itself. Now, it's important. It's critically important. It's why we spent so much time last week introducing parables. It's critically important that we remember the context. Jesus has just finished his strong denunciation of the scribes. They had heard it all, they had seen it all, and they had rejected it all. And as a result, they were in big trouble. They had committed the unpardonable sin. Not not only that... His own family had come to get him because they thought that he had lost his mind. I mean, what's going on here? The religious people, the, 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 his own family, wasn't anybody listening? What's going to become of this movement? And having finished, Jesus then left the house, went down to the Sea of Galilee, got into a boat, sat down. And began to say many things to the crowds in parables, starting with the parable of the sower. That's what we call it. That's what we're familiar with. Not really a good title. The sower, just in the first verse there, and then the rest of it has to do with the soils. In fact, the Germans call this rightly, more rightly, I think, the parable of, of, the, so, of the soils. Now, the flow of this particular chapter goes like this. He's going to give us four, maybe five parables, depending on how you count. I mean, I know what the difference between four and five, but just depending on whether you count one of them as a parable. Uh, The the first is addressed to the crowds, but uh, only explained later to his followers. The next four appear to be given only to his disciples. And so we're going to look at this first parable, the parable of the sower, spoken to the crowds, but then explained only to the disciples because because the parables revealing truth, spiritual truth, is only for insiders. It's not for outsiders. They won't even get it. This particular parable is an agricultural metaphor. It's not very difficult to see. Perhaps Jesus from the bow would have pointed to a a farmer off in the distance, maybe doing his work. The the farmer, the sower, uh, would have had a bag around his neck uh, in which he held the seed. And as he walked along the uh, along the ground, the furrows, lots of discussion about whether they plowed before or after. Who cares? Uh, he, he, would, he would throw, the, the, he would broadcast the seed by hand. That's the way you did it. Now, bordering the field would be paths that separated one field from the next. Uh, they would also be um, paths that would lead from one field to the next. And, and these were roads of the day, hard packed from years of being traveled by travelers or workers. In the field, there would be also rocky soil. Now, I don't know what you see when you see rocky soil. Don't think what we see have lying around here. You see soil with lots of rocks lying on top. The farmer would have taken care of that. But in Palestine, lying right beneath the surface of the soil, a couple inches deep maybe, would be a layer of limestone rock. That's what Jesus has in mind here. It looks like good soil, but it only goes so deep before it hits a bedrock of resistance. And then, of course, in the field, in any garden, there would be those inevitable weeds called thorns or thistles that would spring up everywhere. The farmer didn't plant them any more than you planted those dandelions that are going to appear in the next couple of weeks. They just miraculously and annoyingly appear. So... As the sower broadcasts the seed, some seed would land on the path, hard 
path, no penetration. The birds would come behind and eat the seeds still lying on top. It would never penetrate the road. It was much too hard for that. And then some of the seed would, would fall in that shallow soil with the limestone rocks lying just beneath it because the, the seed would not go deep because of that. Uh, it would spring up quickly, and all that growth that would usually go down went up. And not only that, maybe the, the soil was extra warm because of that, uh, the warmth of the sun on that rock, but as soon as it springs up, the plant would wither. There's no depth of soil, it shallow, no water. No roots, no life. Some of the seed would fall among the thorns. You didn't see, again, you would not see the thorns and the weeds at first. It was, it, maybe it was right after winter or maybe it was right after the field had been plowed. They, they hadn't grown up yet, but they, they did make no uh, mistake about it. They would grow up along with the good seed and, because the weeds are so tenacious, aren't they? And, and they, As they usually are, and they, they choked out the good seed. They, they robbed it of water and soil and sun, and, and so it was unproductive. Finally, Jesus tells us there would be, there would be some seed that would fall on good soil, <laughs> dark, rich, deep, moist, good soil, and the seed will, would flourish and, and yield a good crop, some uh, 30, some 60, some 100 fold. You might be interested to know that back then, before there were chemicals and fertilizers and irrigation and GMOs and all that technology that we use today, a good crop was considered to be an eight-fold increase, 30, 60, 100. This was, this was amazing. This was miraculous, exactly. Let me point out some things that most of my commentators pointed out. I found rather interesting. I hope you do. First, I want you to notice that there were three bad soils followed by a soil with three different yields. Some even say that there are six soils here. I don't know about that, but three bad soils followed by a soil with three different yields. That was because every good storyteller, and Jesus was a master, always balanced the story um, out. Notice, second, the first soils all had things that ultimately destroyed the seed. I want you to remember that. They all had things that ultimately destroyed the seed, the birds, the scorching sun, and the thorns. And the third, the, the, I want you to notice the increasing nature of these bad soils. What do I mean? Well, first, the, the seed on the path didn't do anything. It just laid on top until it was eventually eaten by the birds. Second, the seed on the rocky soil immediately sprouted up, showed some promise, <laughs> It showed some, some promise, but then soon died, and then the, 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 the seed among the thorns grew and, and actually continued to grow, but it produced no crop that was fruitless. All three, in increasing measure, started with some hope, but, but ultimately accomplished nothing. What, what does all this mean? Again, for most of us, the story is so familiar, it seems glaringly obvious. We figure these disciples must have been particularly stupid. In fact, that's another theme. This is the first time that it appears in Mark. It's another theme throughout the book of Mark. Regularly, Jesus looks at them and says, are you so dull? Are you, are, you, don't, you don't get this? You can't figure this out? But before we're too hard on them, remember that we have 2,000 years of familiarity with this particular parable, and we probably never read it without its corresponding interpretation. And, and even when the interpretation is given, there's still a, amount, a fair amount of disagreement as to what it means. So, so, so what does it mean? That brings us to our second point, the interpretation of the parable. Let's read verses 13 to 20. 
And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all of the parables? See, there's something about this particular parable that's important. It's important to understand if you're going to understand anything else. The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, there are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but they are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard, notice, hear, 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 heard, heard. They're hearing, they're hearing, maybe like you. These ones who hear the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does all of this mean? Notice as we begin, Jesus does not identify the sower. In Matthew's account of this, the next parable after the parable of the sower is the parable of the tares of the field, and the sower is identified as the Son of Man or Jesus Himself. Certainly the sower here could and, in fact, probably should be Jesus. The message started with Him, but beyond that, I do think the parable applies to us today. The sower is anyone who who broadcasts, who shares the seed. Well, what is the seed? Well, Jesus identifies that for us in verse 14. It is the Word. And in Mark's gospel, the Word is very clearly the message of the kingdom that Jesus has been preaching all along. What is the message of the kingdom? It's very simple. Repent. Believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. It is among you. Believe it. It's the same message, frankly, that we preach today, the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Here is undeniable, indisputable evidence. Jesus Christ came on this week to die for sinners. Turn from your sin. Make Him the Lord and Savior of your life, and you will know the forgiveness of sin. The seed is being broadcast. Here's the question for you this morning. Which soil are you? Are you listening? Because I'm going to suggest to you that if this is it for you, this hour or so on Sunday morning, where you come in here and Jesus doesn't impact your life tomorrow and the day after that, your soil might not be so good. Sower went out, whether that's Jesus or his followers whom he commissions, by the way, in chapter 6, or us as we broadcast the message of the gospel. Notice first that we spread the seed everywhere on anyone who will hear, and we hope they will listen. 
Uh, please notice, the seed was the same, and it was it, the same method was, the broadcast was used. Same sower, same bag, same seed, same process. Meaning it is not so much a matter of how the seed is spread. We're not talking about a good presentation of the gospel versus an inadequate presentation of the gospel. Oh, did I say it right? Did, if I would have said this, if I, no, that's not what we're talking about. Rather, it's a matter of how it is received along the path, along the rocky soil, along the thorn-infested ground, along good soil. Soil, we broadcast the message. It is then the soil's responsibility to receive the seed and do something with it. Our job is simply to broadcast it to everybody. Jesus identifies four types of soil or hearts, which correspond to four kinds of hearers of the message of the kingdom. That is, he differentiates between those who hear and those who listen. Uh, the first is a seed sown upon the road, and I'm going to call this the unresponsive hearer. Jesus says this is the kind of person who hears the message, but he doesn't understand it. Why? Because the path is hard. The heart is hard. There can be no penetration of the truth of the gospel into the person's heart. The problem, please notice, is not the seed. There's no deficiency in the message. The problem is with the reception. The truth just sits there and does nothing. The person is unconcerned with the things of God. He doesn't have time for the things of God. He's not interested in the things of God. He's got other more important things to do. All this Christianity stuff, that's just foolishness. Do you have anybody in your life like that? I do. Over and over as the seed hits the heart, it becomes more compacted, harder, more indifferent to truth. The heart is never softened by remorse never broken by conviction, never cultivated by even the smallest desire for anything godly or good. Hard, hard people. We broadcast it anyway. Paul says of this person that grieves our hearts, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the glory of the gospel, or, or, or the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Spread the seed, and in fact, birds, Satan comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart very possible to hear, remembering the context that Jesus is talking about those scribes, one with whom he has just done battle. They had heard it all. They had seen it all, but it does nothing. They had rejected it. There's no reception of the truth. Their hearts are hard. Second seed falls on the rocky places and and instead of the unresponsive hearer, this is the superficial or the shallow hearer. Remember, the seed sprouts quickly, but then it withers because it has no root. Jesus describes this here as the one who hears the truth of the gospel and receives it quickly. He even uses the words with joy. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of cool stuff. It's great stuff. I like this church stuff. I, this contemporary, who ever heard of singing contemporary songs like with drums and, 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 this, and hip choruses and scintillating dramas and relevant messages telling me how I can be a good father or a good husband or how I can be rich and healthy and wealthy. Well, I like that. Or, or maybe, maybe even 
even maybe I like all of the promises of the gospel. I like the promise of abundant life. I like, I like this idea of eternal life. I like the benefits of Christianity, healing, forgiveness, and grace, and life. The person is then on an emotional high, a spiritual euphoria. The seed sprouts quickly. This guy is all zeal, very excited, all talk, no depth, no life, no reality. Very possible this person heard the gospel preached as some kind of spiritual lollipop. Anyone here want to live forever? Say, I do. Who doesn't want to live forever? Raise your hand, sign a card, walk an aisle, sign me up. And the truths, and the truths about the cost, I want you to listen to me very carefully. The truths about the cost of following Jesus are never shared, never heard, never comprehended. And I want you to understand, as you read through the gospel narrative, Jesus always talked about the cost. How do we get off talking about Jesus and following him and never share what it'll cost? Person never read the fine print. He's unaware that a true follower of Jesus must take up his cross daily. Is unaware of what Jesus said. If they hated me, they will hate you also. You will be scourged in the synagogues. You will be handed over to governments. People will hate you because you name the name of Christ. People will actually behead you because you're a Christian. I'm talking not first century. I'm talking 21st century. person doesn't understand there's a cost, no roots. So when the son of affliction and persecution arises because of the word, he falls away. Notice this is persecution or affliction because of the word. This is not, these are not difficulties at work or financial stresses or problems at home because you can't hear, whatever. This, that's the next soil. These are trials because of the word. These are trials because of the message of the kingdom. This is, these are trials because you actually believe this nonsense called the gospel. People turn on you just like they said they would. There are people, lots of people, who don't like the gospel. Do you know this? It will cost you, well, if you are a Christian besides this one hour on Sunday morning. Third seed, sown among the thorns, represents the worldly hearer. Okay, unresponsive, shallow, worldly. I'm using that word. I know it's an old term. This man, like the last, hears the word. In fact, much like the rocky ground, the seed sprouts up, but so do the thorns of this world. Jesus described them as worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. <laughs> we even have churches out there tell you if you believe you can be rich. Are you kidding me? These are the things in life that compete for our attention and our affection. These may be challenges at home or work or school or relationships. These are the things in our society that demand our time, our resources, our loyalty, and our love. Affection. And when you give in to these worries and wants, when you make them the number one priority in your life, then spiritual life dies and it becomes unfruitful. Which is why Paul 
said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Walked away. That's why the Apostle John says in 1 John, do not love the world. Don't love it nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life is not from the Father, from the world. The world is passing away, it's lust. But the one who does the will of God, who produces fruit, it lives forever. Now, I know, I know that the question at this point is, well, are those first three hearers, are they actually believers? <laughs> this is where there is actually raging debate and a diversity of opinion. Everyone uh, pretty much agrees that that first hearer, described as the hard-hearted one, is not a believer. I mean, there never was any life, right? But, but what, what about those, those next two hearers? They're walking around the thorny ground. Uh, the, what about them? There, there was some life, wasn't there? Maybe they're believers. Maybe, maybe they lost their salvation, or maybe they're just backslidden. That is, there's no fruit, but they're still saved, right? You see, they, they point out there, there was an initial reception of the message of the kingdom. There was life, however short that it was, before it was snuffed out. And, and as attractive as that may sound, because of the way I live my life or because of the way loved ones live their lives, and I can't tell you how many times I've had people ask me this very question, but they made a profession of faith. They never lived for Jesus, but they made it. They signed a card. They walked an aisle. I was there at the crusade with them. Aren't they just carnal believers? Are they not just unfruitful believers? I want you to understand the Scripture knows no such thing. Let me say that again. The Scripture knows no such thing as carnal or unfruitful believers. James 2 says, faith without corresponding works is dead. Faith without corresponding fruit is dead. He asked the question, can that kind of faith, just in case you're wondering, but can they be saved? Just in case you're wondering, can that kind of faith save a man? James asked, and the implied answer is no. It's dead, meaning it does not produce the intended result, that is the salvation of the soul. While there was an initial reception of the gospel, there was no real conversion. There was religious experience, but not relational experience. The feelings changed. The mind even changed for a while, but there was no change of heart. These are like those people in Matthew chapter 7 who built their houses on the sand, but when the winds and waves came, the house crumbled. These are like those that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 8 who said, came to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever, anywhere you go as long as it's comfortable. <laughs> Isn't that what we want? I want a comfortable faith. I want a rich and wealthy and healthy faith. And Jesus said, foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, uh, Jesus will follow you anywhere, but let me bury my father first. To which Jesus said, let the bury dead bury their own dead. Jesus, they said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere, but let me go say goodbye to my family first. And Jesus looked at him and said, anyone putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This sounds so hard. This is the point. This is the point. True discipleship, true followership of Jesus is exacting and demanding. If you did not hear that when you heard the presentation of the gospel, you did not hear the gospel. 
True followers are willing to give it all up for Christ, and they produce fruit. It is not, I want to be very clear, it is not the fruit that saves you, but it is the fruit that proves that you have been saved. Fruitless Christianity is an oxymoron. It does not exist. You will know them by their fruit, Jesus said. No fruit, no life. The people... There are, these are people who liked what they heard. They even accepted what they heard, but they were not redeemed. No life. Here's my question. Are you listening? Only the fourth hearer, the good soil, is the true believer. The one who did what? Hears and accepts and produces fruit. Notice, not all at the same level. This isn't a competition. It's not even a comparison. Some will be more effective. That's not the point. 30, 60, 100 fold. But there will always be fruit when the seed finds good soil and in accepting understanding, Matthew calls it, heart. And they will reproduce. They will yield a spiritual crop. Now, everybody wants to know uh, what the spiritual crop is. Everyone tries to identify. Some say a a believer will make uh, other believers. Some say, well, this must be the fruit of the Spirit. It has a nice little ring to it. Some others say, it's the fruit of obedience, a holy, blameless life. What is it? I have no, uh, well, I actually have some idea, but I'm not sure about all this. It could be a combination of all of it. The fact is a true believer will leave a productive spiritual life. Don't miss this. It, it is, don't, don't miss this part. It is not the crop that saves. It is proof that the seed has found good soil. So what is, are you listening? What is the extent of your faith? Notice something else. The good soil, this this is so important. The good soil likely has to deal with the complications of the first three soils. What do I mean? Well, think about it. The first soil has the problem of birds, right? The attacks of of Satan. The second soil has the same scorching sun, afflictions and persecutions. The third soil has the scorching sun. The third soil has the thorns, the worries of this world, and the deceitful call of riches. A true believer still has to face all of those things. Satan and the scorching sun and affliction and persecution and the worries and wants of this life. But because the word has penetrated our hearts, found good soil, there's depth of soil. There's nourishment. There's strength of character. He is able to withstand all the complications of life. Here is the point. Here is the point. A true believer perseveres. So as as we close, what's the encouragement to us um, here? What is this mystery of the kingdom that Jesus is trying to illuminate for us? The message of the kingdom is clear And as understandable and as reasonable, as wonderful as it is to us, I want you to understand it will not be received by everyone. Jesus gives a... They had Jesus. I mean, he's doing miracles right in front of them. It's Jesus teaching. It isn't me. And they didn't believe. He is illustrating the truth of what he said moments before. Hearing they will not hear, seeing they will not see. The seed of the message will be shared with lots of people. The success of your ministry is not dependent on how good you sow. Let me say that again. The success of your ministry is not dependent on how good you sow. It is dependent on the seed. The life is found in the seed. 
And no matter how good a job you do sowing, some will not receive it. You are not going to win everybody. Some will be so hard they will reject it outright. Others will receive it initially only to turn away because it's too difficult. The demands become too great. Others will initially receive it only to be sidetracked by what this world has to offer. Are you listening? What's the most important thing in your life right now? What is it? If you said anything but Jesus, are you listening? The mystery of the kingdom is this. This kingdom is going to grow. The message for us is to follow at any cost. Don't give up. Don't give in. It's real. It will succeed. It's worth it. Follow Christ, and in doing so, you will produce a crop, thus proving the reality of your faith. These are hard words, brothers and sisters. Jesus told us many will hear, but not all will believe. Here's my question as you hear me this morning. Where do you find yourself? Where are you? Stand for prayer.